Hi, everybody. It's John Dickerson. Welcome or welcome back to the Connection Point podcast. At the end of this episode, I'd encourage you to take a moment and check out cp.news on your web browser. Connection Point is a church that is fully online, and you can follow Jesus one day at a time from anywhere in the world with us. Well, I pray this message inspires you and challenges you today to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Come on out here, Ron. You're an answer to prayer. We thank God for you, man. We love you. Love you, John. Yeah, have fun. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Go take a nap, man. <laughs> um, it's my greatest honor and privilege to call that man my friend and my pastor. And uh, would you be praying for him? Would you be praying uh, just all the encouragement you can give and all the prayers you can give? Um, because it's, it's definitely uh, needed. Um, it's a joy to be uh, with you all and thankful for those of you online and uh, you, you very, very special people there in Avon. We love you as well, and what God's up to is exciting, and uh, the, the best is uh, proverbially yet to come. Um, although something really amazing did just happen last weekend, so that's actually in the past, and that is I got to go to the Indy 500. And uh, if you've been around a little while, yeah, I know, some of you just tolerate it. You, you're into something else. You like fishing or you know your seahorse collection, whatever it is. But... Um, I've been a racing fan forever and yet had never, ever got to go to the Indy 500. So moving here was just kind of a thrill, much less getting to take my whole family our first year here to the race. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things, right? Because I've, I've, I've grown up watching racing. Uh, I've studied it. I've researched it. I've memorized statistics about it. Uh, I came here. I took the tour at the racetrack here. I've been to the museum here. I kissed the bricks, even. And so that was all fantastic. But honestly, compared to going to the race, like watching it just doesn't do it justice. Going to it was something else. And uh, I captured a little video uh, of it when we were, we were sitting there and the first time they came around, uh, at speed, uh, it's like 10 seconds of just pure bliss and enjoyment. And uh, I was looking at the cars while I was holding my phone up filming it, so I didn't see it at the time until I went back and watched. But my, my son, Brad, is in the lower uh, uh, right-hand corner of the, of the video. And uh, no, lower left. And he's in a green shirt and a black hat, Watch his reaction as uh, the first lap of cars goes by. Take, take a look. It's so cool, you guys. You take it for granted, because this is what you've known your whole life, and you have to put up with the traffic. But for us outsiders, it's just something pretty special. And um, I, I, was, I was thinking about it the whole time, because 
I was overwhelmed by the experience, um, but, but then as happens a lot of times in my life, I start to make these correlations, and I, I started to make these comparisons between my relationship with the Lord, my experience with God, and uh, this whole racing experience. You know, it's one thing for us to be fans of God. It's one thing for us to know intellectually about God. It's entirely different to experience God. That's true in a lot of things, right? You can know about something, but to experience it puts things at a whole different level. And I'm, I'm hoping that most of you have more than just an intellectual understanding about God. What I'm hoping and praying for is that you have tasted and seen and experienced God and that you know from experience that he is good. I, I would summarize it this way, that to, to know God is to experience God. And to experience God is to do his will. And that's a little bit of where we're headed this summer. To have a conversation about what it is to experience God as we do his will, as we discover it, as we participate with him in his will, we won't just intellectually understand God, but we would rather experience him. We've got some resources to help you along that line. The series is called Experiencing God, and it's loosely based on some phenomenal material by the same title by Blackaby. And we've got resources, some tools for you to be able to follow along this summer. Maybe you dive in on a short-term small group on the Sunday morning during 11 o'clock that's gonna go through this. Maybe you just do it with your family or on your own. But the resources are there. If you're into the deep dive, then you want the hardback book that looks like this called Experiencing God. That's out there in the lobby. Or if you're in for a little more of a daily devotional based on the same material, you're gonna look for the brown one that's called The Seven Realities, if that's more your speed. But these are just things to help you press in a little bit deeper into what we're talking about here, spending time with God so that, yeah, you'd get to know him better, but more that you get to experience all he is and what he's got for you. You know, to know in the Bible, when, when you see the word know or knowledge in the Bible, biblical language always takes that to mean uh, experientially. To know is not to just possess information, but to know biblically is to experience personally. You know, God wants you to experience him personally, not just possess information about him. He would love if you spend a few weeks this summer experiencing him, maybe for the first time, Others of you that maybe have uh, drifted away from a, a real vibrant relational experience with God know that his heart is that you would experience him at a whole different level this summer maybe than you ever have before. Listen to these passages that speak to 
getting to know God and yet the experience that can be had. In Jeremiah chapter nine, in your Old Testament, Jeremiah is speaking to God's people and in particular he's speaking to Judah, the southern part of Israel. And they have wandered away from God, which was kind of the continual pattern, and gone to chase after idols. And yet, the Lord is speaking through Jeremiah, trying to get their attention and calling them back to know him, but that is to experience him. And so, listen to the language used here about what we can experience about God as we know him. Jeremiah chapter nine, verse 23, this is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom or the strength, the strong boast of their strength or the rich boast of their riches. But let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me. And then here's the experiential, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. Hmm. When's the last time you've really like experienced the kindness of God displayed toward you? Do you the, the justice of God you've seen displayed around you. you. You experienced it. You just didn't know he was a God of justice, but you experienced his justice. You didn't just know intellectually that he's a God of kindness, but you ex experienced his kindness because of the, the depth of intimacy that you have with him. Well, that's the Old Testament. The New Testament echoes the same sort of thing. In the Greek, in the New Testament, the predominant language Originally, the New Testament was written in, Hebrew for the Old Testament primarily, picks up on these same things that to know is not just to possess info, but to know is to experience personally. Colossians chapter one, verse nine, Paul is writing to believers in Colossae who have been affected by knowing Jesus, being in relationship with him to such a degree that it's... It's changing them. Their experience with Jesus has been so profound that it's spilling over onto other people. And, and Paul and his, his protege, Timothy, in seeing this, are moved to pray for these people. Look at verse 9, Colossians 1. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. That's a good prayer. I'm praying that for you, I'm praying that for me. Would you be praying that for each other? That, that we would be filled with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. More than you've ever experienced before this summer. Would you pray that together? Pray that for each other? Pray that for yourself? And then listen experientially, not just what you'll come to understand about God, but experientially what he will do in you as you come to know him and his will. 
verse 10, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. Do you hear the experiential words there linked with the knowledge of God and the will of God and the understanding of God comes a whole lot of feelings and experiences that he's desiring you and I to have with him. And so for us to move out of the grandstands and into the driver's seat, can you imagine that in the Indy 500? Some of you are going, no way. I would love it. I would love to drive it. I won't fit in the car, but I would love to drive. And when it comes to being a follower of Jesus, I don't want to just be a fan. I don't want to just be an attender. I don't want to be a spectator. I want to be in the driver's seat. Give me a helmet. Fasten the seatbelt. Put the Hans device on and let me put the pedal to the metal for Jesus. Because what we were designed for is that. And that's the real experience that God has in mind for me and you. In order to do that, though, we've got to live God-centered lives. In order for us to really experience God, we've got to live God-centered lives, which is not easy. I'm not proposing that this is an easy thing. The, the, the default for me and you is to live us-centered lives. Think about just, uh, think about just yesterday. And think about all the thoughts that went through your head. What's the percentage of thoughts that went about you compared to about God just yesterday? Okay, mine was probably 95% me. And on a good day, that's probably the case, unfortunately, because that's just kind of the magnetic pull of how we're wired in this broken world. But to follow Jesus is to put our eyes on him, the author and perfecter of our faith. Jesus is our spiritual big brother. He's our role model. He's our example. And while he was here on earth, he modeled the best way for us to live. And I want to follow in his footsteps. And he was completely centered on the will of the Father. He wasn't half in, half out. He was all in. And so you might ask yourself a question. This is a question I'm asking myself a lot right now with regard to whether or not I am centered. And this question has the ability to help me recenter my life around God when I feel like I'm starting to drift. Here's the question. Is my focus more about fitting God into my plans or is it about aligning my life with his plans? I think for most of us, a lot of our lives, especially after we come to Jesus, it's, it's normal for us to have that season where we're kind of running parallel, our life and, and whatever God wants are kind of running parallel. They might intersect here and there. But are you just trying to 
fit God into your life? Am I just trying to fit him into my life? Or am I allowing my life to be swallowed up into his life, the life of Jesus? God-centered life. A God-centered life basically says this, his desires are better than my desires, his activity is better than my activity, and his ways are better than my ways. That's what a God-centered life is, just constantly saying, praying for, God, your desires are over here, mine are over here. Your activity seems to be over here when I've got eyes to see it and ears to hear it. And my activity, if I am left to my own devices, tends to be over this direction. Your ways, getting to the methodology about how you're doing your activity, you seem to operate in a whole different way than I ever would. And and, and what a God-centered life begins to say is, here are your desires, here's your activity, here's your ways, and here are mine, and then we move to close the gap. We take steps, we make adjustments to close the gap between God's will and our life to sync them up. It got me thinking about this. It's a hula hoop. I'm not gonna hula hoop for you. Hula hoop, hula hoop, $11 at Walmart, thank you very much. When did that happen? I literally went in thinking this is gonna be a buck 98 on the high end. 10.98 for a piece of plastic. It's a ripoff, but you're all worth it. Think for just a moment, just, just play with me just for a minute here. Think about the inside here of the hula hoop as the general will of God, the general will of God somewhere in here for me and for you. Now, at some point, all of us, if you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, he's the one, Jesus, that makes a relationship with him possible, then we are outside of his general will He's still sovereign over us and everything else outside here, but we're separate from his general will. But at some point, you step into a relationship with him, and now you're inside his will. Now, there's a lot of room. There's a lot of variation inside here. I'm not a real big bullseye, God's will sort of guy, but there's a general will that he has for me and you, and it's declared all throughout the scripture and in other ways that we'll talk about this summer. But the drift is for us to get off center and begin to have one foot in, one foot out. And you want a little bit of experiencing God, but then a little bit of experiencing what you want to experience if we're honest but his heart's desire is that we would be centered people, God-centered people, both feet all in with him. But to live like that, it's essentially living by faith. It takes faith to say, your desires are different than mine, and I'm gonna move in faith your direction. 
your activity is probably, what you'd have me do is different than mine, but I've got faith that what you're up to is better than what I wanna be up to. So I'm gonna move your direction, God. I'm gonna trust you with the manner, the ways that you're operating. I'm gonna move your direction, make these sorts of adjustments. It takes faith to make those adjustments and close that gap and live God-centered. Moses did it. Moses is one that's gonna come up a lot in this study this summer. Hebrews chapter uh, 11, familiar chapter for those of you who've been around the scriptures for a while near the end of your Bible if you're not real familiar. Hebrews chapter 11, it's called the Hall of Faith and it profiles men and women of God that stepped out in faith, faith and lived by faith and phenomenal testimonies of these people. In Hebrews chapter 11, listen to this life of faith that is summarized here for Moses, verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Do you see him closing the gap, rather than going off this direction, he's making a choice to center back within God's plan and God's people. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger, he persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. If you're not real familiar with what that's referring to, we'll get into that more this summer. But if you know Moses' life, you're familiar that he lived 120 years but his life was actually broken down into three equal seasons of 40 years. He had 40 years as the prince of Egypt. Even though he was born Hebrew, they're in captivity in Egypt, and a crazy set of circumstances has him growing up in Pharaoh's household, becomes the prince of Egypt. He's got all the wealth and all the power and all the influence all the education that would come with that. He was educated in all the ways of the Egyptians and was powerful in word and deed, Acts says. That's quite the season, 40 years of that. I don't know if I would mind being prince of somewhere for 40 years. That's his first 40. His second 40, not quite princely, his second 40, he's a shepherd out in the wilderness. It's his desert season. And he's got no more power and no more influence and no more wealth. In fact, the flock that he's shepherding isn't even his own, it's his father-in-law's. And after being the prince, then now he's in a whole different season. The next 40 years, he's just shepherding a flock. Now, probably the best thing that happened in that particular season was that he got married and had a family. And that was a totally different season, but I can't imagine what a jolt it would have been 
to have gone from the prince of the most powerful nation in the world in its day to being essentially kind of someone that's not on anybody's radar in the wilderness with your own little family. That's it. That's a whole different season. And if you got to pick your will for a particular season in your life, would you rather be prince or nobody? Well, depending on how you're wired, it might be different. But those are two different seasons. And the last 40 years of the life of Moses, these are the ones that we're more familiar with. This is the Charlton Heston years for Moses. This is, this is his rising to be the great deliverer of the people of God. At 80 years old, God speaks up through, to Moses through a bush that's burning and says, I'm gonna use you. I've heard the cries of my people and I'm gonna use you to go stand before Pharaoh and I'm gonna use you to free my people out of slavery in Egypt and get you on the way to the promised land. And he goes in and he is used by God and he gets probably two million people, God's people, into freedom, across the Red Sea and journeying toward the promised land. Well, they get there, there's some hesitation, they bobble the ball a little bit, Moses himself doesn't get to get in. But what a story. When I look at Moses' life, yeah, there's times where his activity, his desires were different than God's. Uh, he had one foot in and one foot out. There's moments where he needed to close the gap and stand in the middle, recenter with God. But more often than not, he was a man of God that there wasn't a whole lot of gap between God's will and Moses' life and activity. That's what I wanna be. That's what I wanna experience. My own journey, I've had a similar sort of set of seasons. I'm just shy of 120 right now, and so, and, uh, no, I, but in, in my particular seasons, the amount of years have looked different, just as your seasons look different for you, but, but I really got rescued by Jesus when I was 15 in high school and began to feel the stirrings almost immediately that God was calling me into ministry, and yet, I also had this heart for the entertainment industry, and thought I'd do acting or writing or comedy, comedy writing or something like that. After college, I got a job at Universal Studios Hollywood. I was a tour guide on that tram ride where you go through the back lot, you know, Jaws and King Kong and Earthquake and all those things. And you talk about all the movies that were shot there. There was a rule that as long as you were on this hour long tour, as long as you were out there on the tram the tour guide could not stop talking. And so guess where I learned how to do this right now? That's why I could just talk and talk and talk and talk. They had a big book they gave us and they were called stalls. If the trams got backlogged and you were just stuck in the same area for like 15 minutes and couldn't stop talking, you had to have a whole bunch of material. So you'd run out of every movie that was shot there and then you'd look around and go, 
Oh, what you see around you are called facades. Facade is a French word meaning false front. The top of all these buildings are fixed with sprinkler systems. The sprinklers shoot water up in the air. When it comes down, it has the effect of rain. That's one of the many weather effects we have here at Universal Studios, and on and on and on. This is 30 years ago. It's still lodged up here. Thank you very much. But that was a particular season where I was warring between God's desire that I knew was there for me to vocationally head toward ministry, and yet my desires were not fully there. I had one foot in and one foot out. Then, though, I had a moment where enough was enough, and I stopped fighting him on stuff, and I just said, okay, Lord, you want me in, all in, vocationally, that's your plan for my particular journey, okay, Took me a couple of years to get there. But I made that step into full-time vocational ministry. And guess what? It's been really, really hard. I've had both feet in. And my desert season moved us from California to the actual desert in Arizona. And that's a selfie I took uh, <laughs> about five years into ministry there in Arizona. It's been hard. But my feet were both in. Here's what I learned. I could be in the center of God's will and stuff could still be tough. And that's okay because I know God's willed this. And so he's gonna get me through or provide what I need even when it's tough. Thankfully, that season came to an end just like Moses' desert season. And then he's moved us into a season now where we're here in the promised land. <laughs> we have made it. And I gotta tell you, me and my family, our feet are both all in to God's will. But I'll tell you, there's a real particular sweetness to this season. God's refreshed us with um, his goodness. Yeah, sometimes doing God's will is tough and challenging. But sometimes it's really sweet. God's used you in this church and the leadership here to remind me of what it is to experience him, not just in the trials and hardship, but experience him in the goodness. Here's also what I've come to discover is that the worst seasons in my life, and maybe yours, are not necessarily when things are tough or challenging or difficult. I believe wholeheartedly the worst seasons in your life and my life are when we're operating independent of God, completely outside of his will. Because we're not experiencing him. See, God's sovereign over everything outside of here and everything inside of here. But to truly experience God, we have to get into his will. We have to obey it. We have to participate with him. 
Maybe you're just blind to God's will. Maybe you're aware of God's will, but you're ignoring it. I'm praying that'll change this summer. A lot of you are actively participating, not perfect, but by the grace of God, through the spirit of God, you're actively participating in the will of God. And you know the joy that can be had in that. The joy that comes with with participating with God is huge. God really wants you to experience him. He wants you to enjoy him. Which begs the question, well, how, how do I do it? How do I experience him? How do I experience him like that? Well, you do his will. Well, how do I do his will? You gotta come back next week. <laughs> but when we do his will, we start to ask the questions. We start to even ask the question. Here's the first question, it's an okay question. What's God's will for my life? That's an okay question. What's God's will for my life? The problem with that question, it's a little too specific. And it can lead to a danger of the focus being on your life rather than on God. You know what I'm saying? Does God have a purpose and a plan for your life? You bet. Did he have a plan for Moses? Yes. Was his plan bigger than Moses? Yes. God was working pre-Moses, he was working post-Moses, he also worked through Moses, the same for me and you. So a better question is, just what's God's will? Period. What's God's will in general? And then how can I join him in what is crystal clear as his will for all of his people? That's a great question. It's the better question of the two. I've got something for you where you could actively participate in God's will that I don't even think you need to pray about or think about. But you could experience God in participating in his will. Kids and students are going to camp this summer from our church. And as they head off to camp, out in the lobby, there are uh, these bracelets and the bracelets say for the next generation on them. And then next to the bracelet, there'll be a little card here. And it says, I am praying for, and then it has the first name of one actual kid or actual student who's going to camp this summer with Connection Point. And then there's prayer prompts on the back about what you could be praying for, for that particular kid or that particular student. You put the bracelet on, you grab your prayer prompt, I've got Levi. Levi, I got you. When you head off to camp, I got you. I'll be praying for you. And I'm gonna actively participate in the spiritual realm while I pray for you that God does amazing things in your life and through you and in you. And then we'll hear the stories. And as a church, there should not be any more bracelets or any more of these cards by the time today is over. You need to get all these kids covered in prayer. That's part of God's will. You don't need to think about that or seek if that's specific for your life. Just go do it and experience God as you do his will in that regard. Experience him when we relay the stories of what God did through the kids and the students. Through Tony and Sean, through Trey and Dr. Zach, through all the leaders that'll come alongside.
So an okay question is, what's God's will for my life? A better question is, what's God's will, period? But, but here's what I think for the purposes of this weekend, and we'll wrap it up. Here, here's the best question. The best question is just, am I walking with God? Am I centered around God? Because discerning God's will, this sounds weird, discerning God's will has more to do with walking with God than discerning his will. What I mean by that is the focus should be on God, the focus should be on walking with God in relationship with God, cultivating that relationship so that you and I can hear his voice better, so that when he speaks, however he speaks through his word, or that you'll have ears to hear, and a soft heart that just says, okay, yes, Lord, I'll go. And so just as we start, are you walking with him? Maybe over the course of the next couple of weeks, you could take a move from just studying about or watching on TV or sitting in the crowd as a spectator or a fan. Get out of the stands, get into the car, put the helmet on, center yourself around him and says, say, whatever it is that you've got for me, I'm all in by your grace. I need your help, your desires, your activity, your ways are over here. I sense that mine over here Help me close the gap so that I can really experience you, truly. Let's take that journey together this summer, okay? So gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, thank you, thank you that you love us, that you're patient with us, that your desire for us is not just an intellectual understanding, although that's so valid and helpful, but you've got even more for that. You have an actual experiential, covenantal relationship that we can have, whereby we experience so much of you and you produce things in us as we do your will that we can experience as well, right in our own lives. So Father, we just link arms with you and each other and pray for your will to be done over these next two months. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, if today's episode encouraged you or helped you in any way, we would invite you to keep following Jesus with us. We send out a daily video text devotional. You can receive that and you can learn how to gather with us online or in person for our weekend services. All of that is available over at cp.news. That's the letter C, the letter P.news on your phone or desktop or tablet browser. Thanks again for joining us and please join me again next week for the Connection Point Podcast.